and welcome to Sharing Real Hope. My name is Mike Hall. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most well-known sermon, possibly his most well-known teaching. The first 12 out of 109 verses of that sermon are familiar to people, but still misunderstood. I want to talk about those first 12 verses over the next seven podcasts, and I would invite you to come along. There's some important truth here. There's some exciting promises that are in these verses. Each of these verses deal with the eight blesseds, blessed are, and those uh, blesseds actually mean fortunate are you, happy are you, happy in a deeper, more lasting way. You know, we talked about on the last podcast how everybody wants to be happy, and that's understandable, but uh, the problem is a lot of people are seeking happiness in all the wrong places, and and happiness tends to be temporary. Uh, it tends to come and go quickly based on our circumstances, but that is not at all what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a lasting happiness, real, soul-satisfying happiness, and each of these eight blessed R's uh, help us to understand that. Uh, in these eight Beatitudes, as we call them, Jesus is telling his listeners first what it is like to be part of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the term heaven in all the other places uh, in the uh, other Gospels, it's, it's not used. That term, kingdom of heaven, is not used, but rather kingdom of God. I don't believe I mentioned this on the last uh, podcast where I was introducing this series. Matthew is writing to primarily a Jewish audience, and he is, when he uses the word heaven instead of God, he is being um, uh, sensitive to the uh, Jewish uh, audience's uh, sensitivities to the use of the word God. Uh, that, that would be, they didn't use that word in a light manner. They were very careful and respectful of God. And so, rather than say the kingdom of God, uh, Matthew is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And in these eight Beatitudes, uh, Jesus is telling his listeners exactly what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, and he's telling them how to enter the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I want to make that very clear here because this entire series talks about that overarching theme uh, of being in the kingdom of God and what it is what it is like and and of how to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is simply the reign and the rule of a sovereign God in our lives personally. It is submitting to the reign and rule of God Almighty. Put another way, being a part of the kingdom of heaven, the, the kingdom of God, is being a part of the forever family of God through Jesus Christ. It is uh, in the Bible called being saved, being born again, becoming a true and authentic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in Acts, they were first called Christians at Antioch, and it was used derisively of them. They were making fun of them, but it was a title that said, you're one that's like Jesus Christ. 
And that's what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of, of, of God, that we have submitted ourselves we have submitted ourselves to the rule and the reign of Almighty God in our lives. Now today, we're looking at the first two Beatitudes, and they're found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And I want you to listen as I read it. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I want to break these two down today and, and help us to understand exactly what it means. So, first of all, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I want you to listen very carefully to this, because this goes uh, smack dab against current culture. We are going to be walking upstream today in this, in this particular uh, part of, of the podcast. So I want you to listen carefully. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I love what Pastor John Piper says that it means, and I'm, I'm going to quote him directly from a sermon that he did many years ago, and he gives us five things that help us to understand what it means to be poor in spirit. Listen carefully. Here's the first one. It is a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. To be poor in spirit is a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. Oh my, we all want to think about how powerful we are. Uh, reach down and grab in and so on. But um, it's like a bunch of kids uh, fantasizing. Uh, you and I do not cause ourselves to breathe when we're sleeping. We do not cause our heart to beat the many, many times that it'll beat throughout our lives. We think we're in control. We think we've got the power, but being poor in spirit is a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. Secondly, it's a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. Sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. You know, um, the, the, the world's message is we're all basically good, and, and some believe that there's kind of a spark of divinity in us, and that, that we can just reach down in our, inside of ourselves and find that goodness. But <laughs> Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who have a sense of spiritual bankruptcy. I just don't have it going on spiritually in and of myself, and I am helpless before a holy God. Third thing is, it is a sense of moral unconsciousness cleanness before God. You know, even in a pure, 100% pure glass of water, if you drop one speck of arsenic in there, that glass is now poisoned. And there is no one that hasn't had a wrong or an evil thought. There is no one that hasn't sinned at least one small sin. Now, I'm exaggerating because I want to tell you, we've all sinned more than just one small sin. We are morally unclean before a perfect, righteous, holy God. And then uh, it is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. In and of myself, because of my sin, my failure, I am unworthy, and I could never make myself worthy. I could never do enough to be worthy 
to be with God, to be in relationship with God. I do not have the ability. You know, I used to use the illustration, and it's kind of outdated, uh, about me and Michael Jordan getting in a jumping contest. I guess to update it a little bit, it would uh, be me and LeBron James getting in a jumping contest. And we all know uh, that who's going to jump higher, right? And if you said my call, you were wrong. Uh, You know that LeBron James can out-jump me. But I want to tell you, If we're both given a different target to jump at, and that target is the moon, we're both in trouble. Neither one of us could ever come close to jumping to the moon. Um, And that's exactly what trying to be good enough to to meet God. You know, one person might be um, more of a moral person than another person. They can jump a little higher morally, but they still fall far short of jumping up to God's standard. None of us can do it. But if Michael Jordan and I or LeBron uh, LeBron James and I uh, got into a rocket ship, we could get to the moon on someone else's power. The only way to get to righteousness and holiness before God is is on someone else's power, and that someone else is the Lord Jesus Christ who died to pay for our sins and to give us His righteousness. Then, uh, John Piper says a fifth thing that describes poor in spirit is a sense that if there's to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God and all of grace. Oh, I love it. So whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all poor in spirit. That is the objective truth here. All of us fit those five descriptions that I just said. However, this particular one is is not talking about uh, the objective truth that we're all poor in spirit, but it's on a subjective level whether or not we acknowledge it. This is referring to those that acknowledge the fact that that we are powerless and spiritually bankrupt and helpless and acknowledging that we have moral uncleanness and that we are personally unworthy before God and acknowledging that there's only one way and that's by God and His grace. Those that acknowledge it are the ones that Jesus is talking about and And uh, the second blessed today just validates that. It says, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Those who mourn are those that are uh, actually acknowledging that they are helpless and hopeless and unworthy uh, and and unable in and of themselves to jump up to the moon, to jump up to get themselves to the standard of God's righteousness. Those that acknowledge their own helplessness are those that are mourning over their sin. And, and, and this really refers to Jesus' uh, original um, uh, message. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, for, for the sorrow, that's mourning, that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death or separation. You see, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin, those who are sorry for their sin, and that true sorrow leads to repentance. Here's what Jesus' message was. Matthew 7, four, four, verse, chapter 4, verse 17 says, uh, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or near. Repent. To repent means to have a change of mind and heart, which leads to a change of action or direction. 
And so repenting is to turn from something to something, to turn from someone to someone. And, 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 and a godly sorrow, a mourning over our sin and our unworthiness will cause us to turn from that sin and will cause us to turn to God who alone can help us. And, and, and that's exactly what's being said here. Peter, in his first message on the day of Pentecost, preached uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, told them to repent. Paul, uh, as he uh, went about his, his uh, ministry, he, in Acts 17.30 and Acts 26.20, he talked about repenting, the need for repentance, to turn from our sin and to turn to Almighty God. That's being poor in spirit and acknowledging it. Well, there's a promise for each one of these blesseds. Uh, those who are poor in spirit, it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you enter the rule and reign of, of Jesus Christ. Those who mourn shall be comforted. Uh, comforted in that we're giving, given uh, forgiveness and we're given a relationship with God. But there's also a future aspect to each of these beatitudes. The one in verse 3, uh, blessed those who are poor in spirit, they will be a part of the future kingdom. Not just now in relationship with God, in the future will be a part of His kingdom. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. You know, this life is filled with sorrow. But Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says this, And He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. In the future kingdom, we will also experience ultimate comfort. Those who have, us who have mourned in this life in many different ways and are part of the kingdom of God, part of God's family, one day we will be comforted. He'll wipe away the tears from our eyes. Well, with that wonderful thought, I'm going to close today's podcast and hope that you come back next time. Until next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to this edition of Sharing Real Hope. We hope that you were encouraged in your walk with Christ by what you heard. Please take a moment to email us with your questions, prayer requests, and comments. Our email address is sharingrealhope at gmail.com. Again, that's sharingrealhope at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website at sharingrealhope.org. Until next time, keep living in and sharing real hope.